Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crabes. Hey, good afternoon and good evening, sir. It is good to see you. Welcome back. And Mr. C.H. Siddons. Welcome back. Good to see everybody. Hello. Good, good to see you. Welcome, folks. We are glad you're tuning in, as always, to Ed's Not Dead. We are your hosts of the best podcast on the interweb, Mr. Siddons. Is that correct? <laughs> I think we're number one or two of education podcasts. I can't I think count higher than one. Yeah, so I think it's like at least one and a half. <laughs> And as always, you can find Ed's Not Dead at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter, although I don't really follow it. It doesn't um, matter. It's there and we are active. One of you tweets. I know that. And of course, edsnotdead.com <laughs> to check in on our latest blogs. I, it's funny. The, 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 the tweet replies, if you, if you know Pete and I well enough on our Twitter accounts, you can tell <laughs> which ones are coming from me. And which ones are coming from Pete? Uh, yeah, this is do, true. Do, do Crables not have a pulse? <laughs> They're very uh, with sanguine. Uh, sanguine. Sanguine. Is that a word? Sanguine. Sing, sang, sanguine. Is that is that a is that it's a, like a, it's like linguine. Sanguine. It's a pasta. That's, uh, a pasta a hard word. That's that one of those words word? that you've read for years that you pronounce to yourself. You really have no idea how to say. <laughs> I know. How do you, is it sanguine or sanguine? Sanguine. 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 Sang, like penguin? Sanguine. Alexa, <laughs> what does sanguine mean? Well, that didn't work. Adjective, sanguine is usually defined as cheerfully optimistic. Okay, that's not the tweets. <laughs> cheerfully optimistic. Alexa, that's enough. <laughs> All right. The opposite of sanguine. Um, <laughs> they're low, low, they're low energy, but very direct. <laughs> All right, let me read our low read energy. Our sponsor. Jeez. Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Uh, it's good to see you, fellas. We have a great show uh, for our listeners today. It is all things Ed News, right, Mr. Crable? It is, it is, yes. So we are going to uh, delve into. What determined that if schools reopened, we consciously took a COVID break on our last episode and we're going to jump back into schools being closed and uh, what determined if schools reopened. Um, We are also going to talk, uh, going going to prognosticate a little bit about future picks for the Secretary of Education now that we have a new president elect, or do we? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, let them let them count the votes. <laughs> well, no, right. stop the count. But also, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, stop the count. Or we wait, count the, or both. We count the votes. Depends on the, stop. the state. Yeah. All right, one of the two. Um, and then no senior year for you, uh, as as schools have changed dramatically over the last year. And then I think this was happening before we went all virtual last March. Um, kids were starting to move at different paces uh, throughout their secondary education. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of allowing to kid, allowing kids to move through their courses towards graduation at their own pace or driven by their needs. So um, it is a mishmash, Mr. Crable, as you call it, of Ed News tonight. So you got it. Yep. don't leave the show. All right. As always in our intro, it is time for show feedback. I'm going first. Um, 
because I have a little bit of show feedback that I'd like to share. Uh, friend of the pod, Sarah, um, longtime friend of the pod. She's a teacher, um, fabulous teacher. She, uh, she was walking her dog. Actually, that's a total lie. She doesn't have a dog. She was walking. I don't know why I just said that. Um, <laughs> Maybe she has an imaginary dog. Because <laughs> I'm so not used to doing show feedback. This is new for me. Anyway, um, Mr. Cravel, I just want you to know that I brought up the Robbie segment that we de- yeah. demoed like two shows ago. Is that right? Yeah, that the one yeah. where we asked you about like your commentary on different events in the 1980s. It was your idea, Mr. Siddons. I thought it was a great segment. And then Crable killed it one 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 episode in. And it, I wanted I wanted everybody to know though the friend of the pod, Sarah, loyal Ed's not dead listener. <laughs> told me that she very much liked that segment. Oh, yeah. okay. But wow. her primary reason for liking it was because I was her son's fourth grade teacher. <laughs> but anyway, so, all right, Mr. Siddons, what do you got for us? So we got uh, two two highlights from the feedback from the last pod. One is from Tal Madelon. I apologize if I'm uh, pronouncing it incorrectly, but on Twitter, catching up on the latest episode, worried about your suggestion to bring back bring back high needs special ed students. Bring They're back. more likely to have complications, less likely to stay masked and distance, and there are lots of bodily fluids involved. And, uh, uh, you, as, res- you know, you responded to that one, right? I think you responded to that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the one I noticed. And uh, that's you know, from it's, Mel- it's Melly Bachrock? No. No, no, no. The, uh, the oh. one above it. So oh, uh, it was interesting when, see, when see the picture? Tal, yeah, when Tal noted it in the in Twitter uh, as a response to our pod, you know, I I had suggested in the last pod that maybe we think about how do we bring back students who are English language learners or students who are receiving special education services, and um, you know, I think there there certainly is some nuance to that. So I I take her point, take his or her point uh, very uh, closely because. You know, we do have to think about the populations we're bringing back. And if we're bringing back students with severe disabilities, there, there could be some um, issues with uh, what, she, what they were saying with the bodily fluids and just issues with wearing masks and wearing protective gear. Um, I, don't to- I don't comment- totally disagree, but there, there's a lot of assumptions about that in that tweet. Yeah, there are some assumptions about whether or not they would actually stay masked and distanced. And, uh, you know, you can't really paint with a broad brush unless you're on this show and you're me, in which case you can. Um, We appreciate the feedback. We do appreciate the feedback and keep listening and keep giving us comments because we really appreciate them. Uh, From Melanie Backrack, no relation to Bert, uh, (laughs) said, thank you, Ed's Not Dead, for stating in your recent episode that empathy does not make you weak. Uh, Teachers showing empathy provides the safety for students to meet high expectations. Students are more available and the content becomes more accessible. I could not agree more. And uh, thank you for your feedback and your comments. I, I go way back, Melanie. You know. Do you? Do? Yeah, she's an, she's an old friend. Thanks for listening to the show, Melanie. So she's not related to Bert? <laughs> uh, I wanted that you to actually... The world you, needs that. That's what love, I wanted. Sweet love. Ladies That's, and gentlemen, Mr. Bert Bacharach. <laughs> I knew we were in for a uh, an Austin Powers reference. 
<laughs> All right. Um, what about local news? Um, I see in the show notes here, Mr. Siddons, um, we had some developments on election night in early November. Oh, uh, what something happened November 3rd. There was, oh, an election. Right. I, I okay. put that in yeah. there. That's why, that's why he looks like a deer in headlights. Cause I, I added that at the end. Oh, you did. Okay. Congratulations to friend of the pod, Lynn Harris, who oh, is I a see that now. new member of the Montgomery <laughs> County board of education. Um, uh, she was a guest on our show and, um, we're very proud of her and she's going to do a great job. Congrats, Lynn. Yeah. we got to get her back on the show to talk about what, uh, what her plans are for, for the, for her first term. Yep. The behind she's, the scenes look behind the scenes lifting. We, the we know she's got, we know she's, she's going to try to shake things up. That's what Lynn does. And well, and we know that there, the transition for her seat will be a lot smoother than Joe Robinette Biden. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a new uh, president-elect. I, I was curious because I've not tuned into anything that uh, Betsy DeVos has said. Has she made a statement in the last two weeks since since the election? She's been keeping a low profile, from what I can uh, glean. But I'm sure she, <laughs> but I'm sure she denies the fact that Joe Biden won the election because they're all doing that. Yeah, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do to be. And a, she's probably. A She's probably a little bit um, upset that her home state of Michigan was a part of the blue wall, right? Uh, well, you know, she has a massive uh, mansion and estate, so she can keep herself separated from the lowly people surrounding her in Michigan. So she's going to be just fine. All right. Well, um, can we give was, some uh, snaps for getting Betsy out of office? Is that, you know, is that something we can do? I mean, the downside, you know, no more dear Betsy's. It'll just have to be dear, dear Randy. So, Robbie, I, I found this, and I don't know why we didn't play this all the time. See if you can hear this. No, there's nothing playing, so that's effective. You can share your screen with the sound. I know how to do that. You have to click the little button before you do it, though. <laughs> you have to click the button. You're hey, muted. You're <laughs> muted. I can't hear you. I think I you're muted. I see your lips moving, but I can't I hear you. I think you're muted. All right, Mr. Cra- Mr. Crable, while you figured that out, Mr. Yes. Siddons, I know that you watched uh, President-elect Biden's Saturday night um, speech. Yes. After the election, how how pumped were you when he said, uh, this is a good night for you educators out there? Did you get you psyched? Know, I was very excited. You know, I don't think a, a president has ever directly uh, noted um his you know desires to to impact public education as much as Joe Biden did in that one speech and i i'm very i i as i was sitting watching it you know i found myself getting a little emotional just because i am an emotional person but it took me about halfway through to really understand the impact of what had just happened and what 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 we're in the middle of right now and like uh it, it's you know the we're still a very divided country and we will be for quite some time, but I feel like this is a at least a, a moment for us to breathe and kind of recoup and reset a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a throwaway line, but some for some reason, and I, I guess you felt it too. I don't know if you saw Mr. Graves in live, yeah. but um, it was such a short statement, but there was something so genuine and talking directly to us as educators that I was like, you know, now I, yeah. I, I, I like, I pumped my fist. I was so psyched. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say, and obviously we're biased, but it's not hyperbole to say that uh, everything that our country wants to do to, to progress and get better and to improve upon begins and ends with education. So, yeah. you know, obviously we're biased to some degree to say that because we run an education podcast, but uh, you can't improve folks' working conditions without professional development and furthering their education. You can't replace fracking and, and some of the, 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 the jobs that are going to be part of the past without further education and improving their, their communities in that way. So, you know, it, it was a great night and I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. I, I would say, Mr. Krebs, you'd probably agree with this, that uh, it is 2020. Um, we're going to be, by the time Biden's done, well, by the time he's done his first term, we'll be a quarter century in, right? Um, the bar is pretty low for him on federal education policy over the last <laughs> quarter century. So, I mean, yeah. he just has to do a few innovative things. And I don't think it'll take take much to top uh, No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, um, whatever you want to call Betsy DeVos's um, vouchers for all platform. Um, but I, I, I think he's got, he, he can, he can hit a home run if he wants. Yeah. And the thing that I think I've come to realize a little bit more, um, in the last couple of years is like, as much as anything, it, certainly there's federal programs and the federal dollars and all that, that, that flow from the department of education, et cetera. But as much as anything, having somebody that says, I believe in public education, the messaging, um, that comes out of that and how it makes people feel or believe. I think that is equally, if not more important. I mean, Betsy DeVos had I, her <laughs> actual impact on education was incredibly minimal, incredibly yeah. minimal. You know what I By mean? Design. Right. Right. But she was, well, she, you know, she was all about giving States the opportunities in state after state after state rejected the proposals that she had. They could have been more heavy handed about it. You know, her biggest, um, I don't know, the most damaging thing to me about her was just the way that she spoke about education, Right. you know, because people with, with mouth, mouthpieces or megaphones, you know, they say the same thing over and over enough, people start to believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so public schools are failing, public schools are failing, public schools are failing. Well, people just start to believe that message regardless of the veracity of it. So, And, and, and let's, let's be fair. Um, Uh, President Obama, you know, you, you never really got a heartfelt feeling from him about public education either. Uh, he, no, was, he, he was a he, private school guy. He was private he, school. And he brought uh, in the reformers. You he know? did. He brought in the reformers and they, they, you know, they were technocrats mm-hmm. and all about efficiency and um, choice. And I mean, they were in some ways they were they were not very palatable either in my mind. No, they they continued and exacerbated some of the 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 worst parts of No Child Left Behind and other Bush administration policies to yeah. to, to to make it seem like they're catering to the middle middle or moderate rather than doing what's right for kids. So let's let's see if Joe can innovate without. Um, let's see if Joe can innovate from within, um, and and doesn't have to bring in. You know whether it's the the Bill Gateses of the world or charter schools mm-hmm. or um, 
you know, let, let's see if they really focus on public ed and use public educators to come up with some new ideas. Well, I think it very much helps that he is a public, he was, went to public schools himself. He went to a public college and uh, he has a wife who has been a public school teacher for many years. So um, I think, I think I'm hoping that, you know, that'll be a good sense for how he's going to move. Is, is it true that he's the first president since Reagan that didn't attend an Ivy league college? That is, he went to university of Delaware, right? Yep. And, and Reagan did not go to an Ivy league school. I think everybody in between has, I think Bush senior did Clinton did Bush. The second did Obama Obama did. did. Yep. So person, person, man of the people. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, Mr. Mr. Craves, you ready to jump into our first piece? Let's do it. One, one last uh, update there. Uh, I don't know if this was out. New blog post up. It's called The Kids Are All Right. I don't know Ooh. if Robbie even knew that. A good one. Um, yeah, it's pretty short, though. It, it basically, um, it's this idea that the, all the hand-wringing that um, distance learning is going to irreparably damage our children because they're not going to be able to score this score on a test and that's going to determine the rest of their lives and they're going to fail. It's just kind of like pump, pump the brakes on that um, <laughs> a little bit. And it kind of goes back to, to no child left behind and the advent of, of data um, and the ease of which everybody can see it. And then kind of like it turns everybody into an armchair quarterback mm-hmm. because of how easy it is to see. And it's just sort of like this repetitive, uh, self-fulfilling cycle of test scores being important. Then you look at the test scores, then they become more important. Mm-hmm. Now, now more than ever uh, in the environment that we're in, um, I just don't think it's really all that useful. I think the message that you get when you read it is just uh, take a step back. We're going to be all right. It sucks. It sucks. No one likes this, <laughs> but we're going to get through it. And your kids are going to get through it. And your kids are going to get through it. And honestly, I think they're going to be stronger and more resilient learners when it when it, when we all get through it. Yep. Um, let let me let me share a little tidbit. Um, you reminded me of this, Peter. Um, I was talking to my sister, who is a incredibly dedicated kindergarten teacher, um, in a school with a with a with a pretty significant poverty rate. Um, she was not obviously as a kindergarten teacher, a lover of starting the year virtually. Um, she and I had not talked too much education in the first nine weeks of the school year, but I talked to her last week and you know what she told me? Hmm. She said, she said, Rob, it's working. They're learning. I love it. Hmm. Uh, we have a, we have a, a little class culture. We log in every day and they love to see me and I uh-huh. love to see them. And she sees them developing and learning to read and all that good developmental stuff. So um, you got to take those wins. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I would have thought for kindergartners, socialization was impossible. All those building blocks of learning would be impossible. And she tells me and she's doing it every day that it's not. Wow. That's great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Good news. Nice to hear. Good news. (laughs) All right. So let's get into some bad news. Um, (laughs) because <laughs> that's what we're about on Ed's Not Dead. <laughs> All right. There is a new study out. I thought it was fascinating. I sent it to you guys. Um, 
by uh, Leslie K. Finger and Michael T. Hartney. It was in the Post this week, the Washington Post. Uh, the title is What Determined If Schools Reopened? How Many Trump Voters Were in a District? Union, union power also played a role, but COVID-19 rates did not. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read you a couple excerpts. Um, examining some 10,000 school districts across the country, some 75% of the total, so a very large sample size, remarkably finds essentially no connection between COVID-19 case rates and decisions regarding schools. Rather, politics is shaping the decisions. The two main factors that determine whether a school district opened in person were the level of support in the district for Donald Trump in 2016 and the strength of teachers unions. A third factor that had a smaller, accounted for a smaller effect was competition the school district faced uh, from private schools, in particular Catholic schools. Uh, the authors go on to say that the finding is a testament to how the nationalization of partisan politics affects governance at all levels. So uh, in a school district, the, um, the higher percentage of Trump voters, uh, whether COVID-19 rates were low or high, uh, more likely to go back to school. In a large district with a powerful union, um, with a low percentage of COVID-19 cases, would they go back to school, Mr. Crable? Yes or no? Uh, no, they would not. <laughs> there you go. All right. So what do you all make of the study? I mean, I'm glad it's out there. It's not surprising in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I, the, the politicization, the politicization, <laughs> <laughs> I said that right, correct? Politicization? Uh, yeah, politicization of <laughs> um, masks and just in general COVID um, where you, you wear a mask and you believe in science or you don't and it's an infringement on your personal freedom. So it, it, you know, it's it's not surprising. But I think the other two factors um, that I was thinking whoa, whoa, about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, about, what about the opposite? The closures? I'm in, I'm in a school district with low COVID-19 rates, but I'm not sending my kids to school. Well, I think at that point, um, when schools made the decision to open, uh, we there was no definitive knowledge on um, the rates at which students in schools would be super spreaders. Okay, so, so for liberals, it was because the, the jury wasn't in yet on the data. Correct. For, for conservatives and Republicans, it was because they deny science and they're dumb. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's basically what you just said. I, I agree that. with that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, I, I think um, I think the, the thing that I was thinking about is we as a society did it wrong, opposite. Um, we should have closed down restaurants and bars and, and public gathering spaces. And we should have really thought about somehow safely opening schools and letting certain amounts of kids in. And I know that's a difference in what I was saying several episodes right in a row, but as we're looking <laughs> back on it right now, and I'm okay with saying that I'm, I'm feeling differently, but as we're looking at the data and we're looking at uh, cases and how they, and how Europe has handled it, it's pretty clear that the, if we had, you know, financially supported restaurant owners and financially supported people who had to stay home, um, and we allowed kids to go back, I think we'd be in a different position right now in terms of 
uh, our school systems. And one, Mr. one Crable, thing, I'm sorry, I was rude. I cut you off. That's Go fine. Ahead. No, but one thing I want, I did want to bring up, and the study doesn't doesn't touch on this, but I do wonder how much it plays into effect. Is you know, um, cities by and large are more liberal, liberal with less Trump support, but more dense housing, more dense living, bigger schools, denser schools, etc. And the opposite is also true. More rural areas are certain, certainly supported Trump in much higher numbers. Um, in general, smaller schools, in general, less density, et cetera. Now, there's a million examples. I'm sure that you could find that um, the buck that trend. But at the same time, you know, I, I've, you know, I don't live in, in a sparsely populated rural area, but um, I, you know, I could certainly understand the logic for them wanting to go back. It just, it doesn't seem the same. It doesn't feel the same, especially before. Um, COVID really came to those communities. Um, a lot of the statewide shutdowns, you know, I can't say with certainty that I, if I had been living in a rural area and there was a statewide shutdown, if I would have been supportive of it when in my community and in my school district, maybe um, it was totally not the case, you know, just so like in California, just because it's such a big state, for example, like LA is one thing, but, you know, rural Mendocino County in Northern California, you know, I don't know. I, I might have been a little upset about that as well. So, uh, you know, I think that's just another factor that plays into it as well. It's not just straight up politics, um, whereas you, education, as you tried to pin me in on, um, but there, there are other factors at play as well. I, I, I would also, beyond the partisan politics that I don't think, I don't think the authors talk about. I mean, it's not what they were focused on. Obviously, they were doing a study, but. <clears throat> You know, if there had been, as you've said all along, Peter, a plan, a national plan that included an education plan. Yep. Um, you know, this might have there might there might have been a a window of time there where you could have gotten beyond partisan politics to get folks to buy into a plan for how to how 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 to educate kids during this time. Yeah. Um, but that 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 window closed quick. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, I understand that to your point that, you know, depending on your politics, um, a lot of it depends on where you live and what you see every day and, and how you feel about, um, the situation that you're in that drives whether you'd send your kids to school or not, or want your kids in school or not. Well, and I, I, you know, I, I think about, um, the fact that, this is a new virus. We don't, there's a lot of new data coming out every single day. And, you know, we have to give people some credit for taking, taking on such a new challenge. But then you look at some uh, place like Taiwan and they've had, does it, how, how many cases do you think Taiwan has had? 704. Uh, I'm going to go lower than that. I'm going to go 350. They've had 607 total cases. And how many deaths have they had? Three. Seven. They had seven deaths. We've had more people die in this country than the Civil War almost. Yeah. Like the uh, abysmal failure from our federal government and from and from governors across this country, most of whom who don't wouldn't didn't take it seriously were are Republican. And all of a sudden some of them are now taking it seriously after we have you know, close to 250,000 people dying and a thousand people dying a day. It's, it's, it is a, 
it is a it is an embarrassment in front of the world and it's a disgusting display of of lack of political leadership across this entire country and 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 don't let our american populace off the hook either no i mean I, I absolutely but if 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 you have all your governors and local elected leaders and all your representatives saying that it's a hoax you don't have to wear masks it's, it's not important it's we're going to go, go with away immunity it's going to go away it's it's we rely on our politicians mm. To show leadership, and it and goes to back have backbone, and it goes back to what I said about messaging, right? And the message that people are getting, and I, you know, I had originally when I was thinking, I, well, you know, my my sort of guess was that schools would really start to open up by March or April if Biden was elected, and then he did like this policy, that policy, you know. But at this point, I think um, you know any requirement of mask, it's you're you're fighting somewhat of a losing battle, but. Um, I do think the modeling of behavior from our elected leaders, and I do think the messaging of masks are important, masks save lives, masks are important, masks save lives again and again and again, as I said earlier in the first part, that is going to be the biggest difference. And, you know, the thing, the other thing that really concerned me about the article had to do uh, with the nationalization of local politics and specifically with school boards. So you have this sort of like interesting dichotomy from the federal government of wanting states to take the lead in terms of coronavirus response and letting each state decide individually. But then you have the overwhelming messaging coming from them of it's not real. It's not that serious. You don't need to wear a mask. Don't be a sheep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a really dangerous combination um, that, you know, I think has implications far beyond just this particular pandemic. Um, as always, I blame social media, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, Facebook but, and Fox News. Yeah, but it is um, it is concerning to me, again, moving forward, just the amount to w- at which national debates over national policy um, are then directly r- related in like hyper-local school board decisions. I don't think that's a good path to go down. Not good. Um, you know, the article referenced school boards largely being nonpartisan, um, although obviously many examples of, of, of that not being the case, but it's just like, man, does everything have to be a political left, right, Republican, Democrat? You know, can't we just put that aside and just have have decisions and discussions on the local level where our, our national leaders are not really driving that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the boards, local boards were probably fairly paralyzed, though, about what to do based on, you know, the, the push and pull between state leadership and federal uh, and a lack of federal leadership. Um, so I'm not sure they, I, I think that school boards often felt like they were going it alone. So they were, they were very careful, especially big school systems. Um, yeah, there the was shifting a there, stand of CDC guidance as well. Ab- abso- absolutely. Um, the only other thing that I'll say, and I mean, this is so unscientific it's, we're filming this at night. I feel like, I mean, we're recording this at night. I feel like Casey's like looking out the window, looking at birds or something. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm in a different time zone. Sorry. You've been okay. staring. Is there something out the window there? What's going on? Yeah. What's going on out the window? Are the <laughs> no, neighbor I, I kids got a, I got climbing a phone the walls? Call from, I got a phone call from Sarah. <laughs> okay. I, I know, but you've, it looks, it's kind of appealing. You've been staring off like. <laughs> are you being too loud? Hey. Where's your and, computer and, screen? What what's to the left of where you're looking? It's not out the window. It's the, yeah, they're right there, diagonal. It and is a window. Some, no, but what, I have what, I have a separate screen. 
Oh, okay. Oh, so he's multitasking. I have the dual screen. Got it. He's on his Outlook. I'm on my web. I got my web pages open. My dog pile. Uh, the only other thing that I don't know if, I mean, that's been so confusing to me is, for example, there's young adults. I'm not sure young adults could have been controlled in this thing with the best messaging around. <laughs> no way. I know. So that's what I'm saying. This country is not really a country that's known for being unified around certain things. And I, you know, I, I have friends that had two or three kids. I mean, imagine if your three kids, Crable, were all ages 17 to 23, you would have been fighting a losing battle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think there were some of those things that were just beyond people's control. For sure. Um, Look, we're, 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 in a, we're an independent culture, not a collectivist. We are. That is, that is the truth. All right. Um, so check it out. It's a good piece. Um, what determined if schools reopened in the post this week? Um, Leslie K. Finger and Michael T. Hartney. Don't go away, folks. We will be right back. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. As always, we are brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. All right, boys, uh, we are into our second segment. Um, <laughs> it looks like it too. Mr. Siddons is in repose over, the, over there. <laughs> in repose. In repose. <laughs> uh, not staring out the window. Um, Mr. Crable, how are you? You still with us? I'm still with you. Still here, going strong. Still here. All right. <laughs> um, he has turned off his video. I don't know why. I don't want you commenting on which direction I'm looking. <laughs> well, you I, were I'm really fancy. I have two screens because I am a pretty fancy person. So, all right. I don't are have a you... teleprompter, but you know, not everybody does. Are you as fancy as Sonia Santelises? I'm not, actually, and I'm glad you bring her name up because she might be our next Ed Secretary. All right, so let's Are we prognosticating? Talk, yeah, let's talk some pre- prognostication here. Um, President-elect Biden is now going to be making a very important pick for the Secretary of Education. Um, we will uh, do our, our Dear Betsy retrospective in a future show. Uh, but until then... Oh, hold on, hold on. I, I, found, I found the clip that I was looking for here. I don't, okay. know why we, I don't know why we didn't play this. We played it like one time, and then I never played it again. You said that you lost it. You couldn't find it. Yeah, I guess that was a lie. All right, is this the, is this the bear clip? Yes, it's great. Uh, the 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 famous or infamous uh, guns in schools to protect from grizzlies. Uh, yeah, that was it. Was that at the Senate confirmation? Yes. 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 All right. Oh, there's so much good Betsy stuff. It'll get us distracted. But 
Um, so the, the crux of the issue is here, um, everyone's going to be watching in the ed sector um, about Joe Biden's pick for secretary of education. Um, there was recently a little bit of a dust up online uh, in the Twitter sphere that you brought to my attention, Mr. Siddons. Um, and it has to do with uh, Sonia Santelisis, who is, um, a, I, I guess, I didn't know this, but you can't go by what I know, um, a, a fairly uh, renowned ed reformer. Um, mm-hmm. But she has come up the non-traditional public ed ladder, right? Uh, I know nothing about her background, so I'm going to let you all fill in the blanks. So the question is here, um, should President-elect Biden go with a dyed-in-the-wool public education pick, um, or should he uh, go outside and... um, bring in someone that has a different view, uh, maybe has worked outside of the traditional public school system, um, a TFA type or a charter school type, um, even a private sector type. Uh, would one of you give us a background on Sonia Santelises? Yeah, so she's currently the CEO of Baltimore City Schools um, and has been there for a number of years now, um, which I uh, when she took over, uh, I think she was the fifth super well, CEO super, slash superintendent uh, in 10 years. So certainly a lot of turnover at the highest levels in Baltimore City um, and certainly um, a school district that had its fair share of challenges. And so um, I think she's doing pretty, pretty well there. Um, but, you know, she she has. Uh, I, to even call it a controversial background is a, a dramatic overstatement. I mean, she she has worked outside of schools, I guess, is the most controversial thing about her. Um, she worked for uh, Ed Trust, um, which is kind of like a, a policy organization. Um, and she, she might have been a vice president or something there. Um, but this all kind of came about because Diane Ravitch, uh, guest, former guest on the show, plug ourselves, uh, tweeted that no DFER, which is Democrats for Education Reform, um, an organization that was pushing her name uh, forward, said, we do not need a former TFA, former ed truster, soup like Sonia Brooklyn-Sandalises, whose kids went to charter, charter and private schools. We need a public school active advocate as secretary of education with a new vision who believes in public ed. So that was kind of what started um, a, bit of a, a bit of a dust up amongst those um, that like to get dusted up on Twitter about that sort of thing. And I think I'm on a record as the sh- on the show would maybe advocating for a secretary of education who either had been a teacher or who, or who'd worked in a school. Um, and I think, I, I think that's still important. I don't think it's the quality that matters most. And I really fail to see how working outside of schools while currently working as a school superintendent um, disqualifies you for the job. Um, we kind of were talking a little bit before and Casey brought up the, the purity test and I think it was Obama who early on disparaged that notion of you're not, everything is not going to be pure. Everyone's not going to be perfect. Um, and this is no different. There's, there is no perfect candidate and merely being associated with TFA 
or you know being backed by Democrats for education reform or any of these other things, I don't think really should have any bearing whatsoever on who's the next Secretary of Ed. Uh, remind me again, is Carol Burris the former New York State principal that um, has garnered quite a bit of attention on her stances on test scores and value-added measures and evaluations? Is that Carol Burris? Yeah, she works for the National Education Policy Center, which may- now Network for Public Education. Uh, okay, Network. Yeah, that may be with Diane Ravitch too. I can't remember. Uh, she's she's Network for Public Education. She's the executive director. Got it. Um, she she took some serious swipes at uh, Sonia Santelisa's. Um, Burris said that Santelisa seems to be talented seems to be talented and someone who sincerely cares about kids. But she says Santelisa's history with groups like TFA and the Chiefs for Change and what her resume says about her values is really what sets off alarm bells. Um, I, I can't really get to what is the issue here with um, Dr. Santelisa's. It, it, her bona fides look pretty legit to me. Well, I, think, I think it goes back to... Um what you brought up in terms of some of the Obama era reforms. And I think to, you know, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but to people like Diane Ravitch and Carol Burris, anybody that was associated with that time and those movements is, is disqualified and tainted because, you know, I mean, to be frank, they didn't really do anything for public education. So I think that is the crux of the argument about why they don't want people that have been associated with, some of these more, um, some of these newer reform um, education agencies anywhere near the job of Secretary of Ed. God, uh, Diane, Diane Ravitch is such a gadfly. <laughs> I mean, she, Come coming, on. From a, coming from a person that wrote a book called Left Back, um, which was where she excoriates public education. Yeah, the, mes- um, the message had a mea culpa. Pretty, yeah, but I mean, the purity test again. So, you know, by that standard, she, sh- I don't know, she should be exiled to the wilderness and, you know, nobody should give her any mind, even though her, she's. I disagree. She, she's not going to be uh, appointed to be education secretary. She's allowed to be, to comment on people and say what she believes. Uh, I think if you're associated with Teach for America and you've worked for Teach for America, and that's the the belief that you have in school improvement and especially urban education, I don't know that I agree with you being the Secretary of Education. Um, do I think there should be a teacher in charge, a former teacher in charge of um, public, ed- like an actual public education? No, I shouldn't say actual, that's presumptive. Uh, uh, a, a, someone who has public education experience in the traditional public schools, I would like that to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, if you're looking for someone who's different than Arnie Duncan and what he did to the Department of Education and our education system with race to the top, you're not going to get anybody different than you're not going to get any different results with Sonia, uh, with Dr. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but uh, Santa Lisa. Sorry. That's very embarrassing. I was trying to find a tweet that I was talking about with, um, what does the what kind of uh, purse strings does the Department of Education have? Um, because there were some people that were talking about um, having someone with higher education experience, and my comment was so, something along the lines of 
you know, the majority of our students are in K to 12 schools. Why should we have someone who has higher education experience? And uh, it was a, it was a, actually a, a civil conversation on Twitter, believe it or not, where it was explained to me about the amount, really the incredible amount of money that is in control by the federal government that is directly in support of uh, higher education and, and post-secondary education. Well, to, to be, to your point about a, a former teacher, the, according to Politico, and I've seen some of these names um, mentioned again and again, the front runners are Lily Eskelson Garcia. So the former president of NEA, um, who also was an elementary school teacher and a former Utah teacher of the year and got her start in schools as a lunch lady in the cafeteria. Um, Randy Weingarten has also been mentioned, um, although she seemed to downplay it. Uh, just last week, she was asked about it and said she's looking forward to working with the Biden in administration as president of AFT. Another former guest, by the way. Another former guest. Uh, and then another name I've seen a number of places has been uh, Linda Darling Hammond. Hamilt sorry, Linda Darling Hammond, um, who's a professor at Stanford, as well as president and CEO of the Learning Policy Institute. So those, the, to be honest, and I've seen those names um, several places. And then, so I think they all have teaching experience. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, I think it's certainly on the, in the cards and a possibility. Uh, some of the, some of the uh, commentary I've read on this also, um, there's a whiff of, um, or at least some, some, some defenders of Dr. Santelisa say that there's more than a whiff of racism involved in some of the criticism of her. Yeah, I th um, I'm, I'm, I, I take, I think that needs to be taken seriously because her experience, at least for what she's, uh, from what she's reportedly done in uh, Boston schools, for for some of her turnaround school efforts, uh, you know, she has a positive track record. Um, I just think it's it's it. I think we need to move away from as far away as we can from the Betsy DeVos era of vouchers, school choice, and and anti public education as in a traditional sense. Um, does that mean that we that Joe Biden's going to pick a, a former or current union president? I I highly doubt that Lily Escalon Garcia or Randy Weingartner are going to be picked. Well, and and to be fair, um, I mean, Dr. Santelisis has run one of the most challenging urban school systems in the country. She's actually yeah. run something. Yeah, that's uh, true. Randy Weingarten, who I love to death. I mean, I guess she runs an organization, but she's Dude, never. That's, that's some cold she runs Okay, but she doesn't. <laughs> has she run a school system? No, no. Um, there's something to be said for, I, I mean, well, I, she's run know. a very large organization, which is what you're basically doing with, with the department of education. You're not running a school system necessarily. No, but I think there I, is no I, would, I, I would argue, you'd argue you have to know something about teaching. I'd argue you have to know something about running a school system. Um, it's, I, I don't you know, think you, it's I, just I, as important as knowing about what happens in a classroom. I think being grounded in experience uh, in the, in a public classroom, public education classroom setting is helpful. Just having teaching experience does not mean that you are qualified to be the Department of Education secretary. Uh, I think uh, I think there's a lot of considerations that need to be had. It really comes down to how much are you willing to leverage the power of the Department of Education to really expand opportunities for kids across the board in ways that haven't been done before. 
And we need someone who is innovative and, and thoughtful in that sense, because there's a lot of money that you can uh, throw around. And there's a lot of things that can be done in, in ways that really promote and, and diminish the opportunity gaps that are just widening every single day. I'm looking forward to an era of innovation. Well, was Dr. Starr on that list? Joshua Starr, Mr. Crable? Uh, he's not been on any, no, that I've seen, but. Okay. Um, so the tweet was from Robert Kelchin and, uh, he said, Biden has promised that the secretary of education will have public school teaching experience, which is a mistake in my view, because ed education department has much more power over higher ed than K to 12. So watch the selection for the number two job very carefully. And my response was not sure. I said, I'm not sure how these two conflict. Majority of children in our country go to public schools. Having someone who represents private schools or higher ed represents a rather elite set of institutions. Am I missing something? And uh, Emily Richmond, who uh, is a great presence on Twitter, and I really appreciate some of the things that she says. She actually works for um, ed writers. She responded, most decisions affecting day-to-day operations of K-12 schools are decided by local school boards, state legislatures. Biggest program administered is the federal education department. Uh, in the federal federal education department is $1.5 trillion student loan portfolio. So expertise and familiarity with that realm would make sense. It's a lot All of right. money. And I have a look. I could try to find it, and it uh, but I took a picture of it on tw- from Twitter, but I, I wish we could uh, tweet it out because there is a list of people who are advising Biden and it's a list of uh, maybe 15 or 20, but, but it's pretty, it's a pretty, you know, on the face of it, it looks like a pretty broad brush um, of, of, I should, I should be one of those advisors. Come on. Uh, doctor, <laughs> you know, you're, I don't see dot on here. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a Bobby dot. I, on I there. think the pro- the problem is it also lists their role in it for all of them. It says volunteer. So maybe that's why. Oh, you know? uh. <laughs> Bobby Doddles, he's in it for the money. <laughs> exactly. Um, I told you, Mr. Graves, come on. There's going to be some appointments there in the, the Department of Ed. Um, I don't even know if Betsy hired anybody, but um, there's going to be a lot of positions, I would think. So you, you better you better get the old resume ready. <laughs> get, get it up on USA Jobs. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, next episode, we will um, we'll probably have a firmer idea of uh, who the who the, the the candidates are, and we'll start to handicap our picks. Either that, either that, or we'll uh, we'll have a better sense of Betsy DeVos's second uh, second term agenda. <laughs> uh, yeah, that <laughs> we would, there won't be another show if that's the case. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, we're moving to Canada. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is that time, Mr. Siddons quiz. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no quiz this time. We're, we're, we're not, we're not doing a quiz this time. Yeah. No, no quiz. Bobby Dodd. Did you look at the show notes, man? Did, did we not talk about this? Oh, I looked at the show notes, but Mr. Siddons has been looking out the window the whole show. We were supposed um, to do another, we were supposed to do another segment on the girl who they wouldn't let come back to school. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's such not an interesting article. <laughs> I kind of liked it. All right, but let's do it. Okay, you ready real quick? Yes. Uh, from our friend Jay Matthews, uh, renowned ed writer for the Washington Post. 
school to student, you took too many courses, no senior year for you. Uh, so Mr. Matthews writes about a seventh grader, um, or excuse me, um, is that right? A seventh grader uh, who moved through classes so efficiently, she got way above grade level. Now she's in her third year of high school and she's being told that there will be no fourth year for her. Uh, this is apparently the penalty for wanting to do too much. Um, I'm not going to say the student's name, but this was a very high achieving student that um, loaded up on really rigorous courses. And um, I guess in her efforts and eagerness to learn, she exceeded what the district called her credit limit. Um, Mr. Matthews says that that's a concept that he had never heard of before. Um, but, uh, and other experts like Bob Farasi, spokesman for the National Association of Secondary School Principals, said that it was a mystery uh, that he he's never heard of it. Uh, have either one of you ever heard of a credit limit? Nope. No. I mean, kids wanting um, to do that early, yeah. Yes. So uh, the, the moral of the story is here um, is that this young woman took too many courses to the point where she has fulfilled her graduation requirements. Um, she basically has time on her hands and um, she's being told that she can't enjoy all the other things that high school has to offer, like extracurricular activities, electives just the socialization of high school, um, she's basically hit the end of the line. So in this day and age where um, students obviously are taking everything online right now, but more and more courses online um, to move ahead in school or to recover credit, um, to go back and, and get a do-over in certain, in certain courses, what do you all think? Should there be limits so we can keep kids moving at some consistent pace through the grade levels or should it be the other extreme and we just let it be a free for all? I, I don't know. I think there needs to be, there's some nuance to it. I think you're always going to have some kids who are going to excel and move faster and exponentially faster than others. And um, maybe they go into high school when they're still in middle school or taking classes in, in that sense. I think the the main thing that I take from this piece is, uh, I think it's not appropriate to limit a student to take classes at their high school. Um, I don't think it does any harm. I think it's, uh, you know, if she wants to, he or she wants to take electives or they want to take classes at the local community college, I think it's, it's, it behooves the, the local district to pay for that and to make sure that the, that student's learning needs are met at any way that they, they need. What do, you, what do you, like, what's the contract between students and school are they guaranteed school up into a certain age are they guaranteed 18 credit i mean but like graduation credits you know what i mean like what is there an explicit or even implicit contract yeah every 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 state has um i mean states set the age where kids can the the terminal age that kids can attend high school Right. Um, it differs state by state, um, you know, and 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 some of that is founded upon the idea that some kids um, 
with um, special needs, for example, um, may be educated, maybe not diploma bound, but in other programs that are going to exceed 18 years old. Um, right. And um, so it, it, it's, I don't think that there's a set age nationally for sure. So in that, you know, I guess in that sense, it's, I don't know. Let her come back, man. You know, yeah. I, I just don't see the the logic in keeping her out. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, this is not me, but I'm kind of like, you know, why does she want to go back? And, you know, she says to improve her social and athletic skills and graduate with her class. Um, you know, and I, I understand that. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, man, if you're like four years ahead of your curve, like your great, you know, your grade level, aren't you wanting to to get out and do whatever is next uh but at the same time i think that should be her decision and not not she shouldn't be kicked out because she has enough credits so uh but it is kind of weird she has enough credits she's graduated you're just letting kids back who who've already graduated but if she but if she's a junior maybe she wants to be a part of the senior experience and she's already graduated if she's in maryland she Maryland requires kids. It's 21 in Maryland. Yeah. So how old is she? 13. She could have seven, could have seven more years. <laughs> yeah. No, I she's think only, you can only, I think you can only go to the way through. You can only go to 21 if you have an, an, an IEP. Well, so as, I think per, she, as per the free and appropriate education. I think she's 16. So she, she's 16 now. She could okay. potentially have two more years of high school. She yeah. can have five years. Two of which, or she's already graduated. But I like, what's the That's downside of letting her take electives and do whatever the heck she wants? I don't know. Clearly, I mean, she's not going to, I imagine she's not going to be a behavior problem. What if she, yeah, what if she is? What if she well, just, then like, you suspend her. Because suspension crazy. works. Suspension changes behavior, Peter. So I, I ventured into the comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> Can I read some of them? Sure. All right. From Tony. Why is it that school administrators seem to be the least sensible people in general? <laughs> Robbie. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I don't really, I can't just kidding, just That's kidding. so funny. Um, uh, I, this other person said, uh, I've seen a lot of comments advocating for my right to another year of high school and truly appreciate all the support. Oh, did, did she actually comment on the story? <laughs> That's is she, Ishika? Is her first name Ishika? Yeah. Oh, she did. She commented on it. Oh, oh she did. Oh, she did. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, there, there were a few points I wanted to make regarding my story. First of all, I am not a genius. My story did not start in seventh grade when I took a real-world workforce preparing entrepreneurship class with juniors and seniors, nor did it start in sixth grade when I found myself in classrooms with high school students. My story began the second I decided to serve as a pioneer for my district and try something different. The decision to take an online course in fifth grade and work at my own pace is what got me a one-way ticket into the cycle of challenge, reward, and adversity. Another thing I would like to clarify has to do with the possibility that I do have a senior year. If this does happen, there is a multitude of classes that are available for me to take, ranging from electives to AP classes. I have not exhausted courses at my school and feel taking them and exploring could help me make a decision about my still undecided career path, as well as allow me to take advantage of college credit. How interesting is it to think about the irony of this situation? 
My journey began with online classes, and now here we are again, except the only difference is this time the whole nation is taking them as well. This pandemic is testing us as we are all in tough times. It is taunting us by disrupting everything we ever knew of our old lives and placing the bar at a new standard. However, I see it as an opportunity to prove that we as humans can come through. We have the ability to work through even when social distancing and quarantining are forcing us apart and will prove it. Once again, I really appreciate all the support. A suggestion for a way we can work together to foster change would be to write to the school district so they feel pressure to do what is right. Um, I think that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, she's, she's obviously an amazing kid. And, um, I guess the school system at one point told her that, you know, when she was in sixth grade, they were concerned about her going to school with ninth graders. And now they're trying to, now they're trying to push her off to college to party as a freshman. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I, did you, did you make note of, uh, Mr. Matthews reference to mastery education in the piece, which I don't really know what that yes. is. Yeah, Advocates I, I, of mastery of education have many interesting solutions to this problem. <laughs> One is to encourage projects like designing a school building or creating a model of the United Nations. <laughs> I heard that. I don't know why I'm making fun of that. Because but. it's so stupid. <laughs> like, has he ever been in a classroom? Have you ever taught a class of 32 sixth graders? And then, and then his, his punchline here is that takes imagination, oh, which is lacking in school systems devoted to everyone staying on the go, same schedule. Now, listen, you're done. Go ahead and make a solar system. Not, as, <laughs> don't include Pluto and make sure it's using styrofoam balls. <laughs> so dumb. Like, as, re, like as, welcome as, to the real world of education. Get, ugh. As a middle manager, I would agree that at times school systems lack innovation, creativity, and imagination. But his examples are (laughs) ridiculous. Pretty late. Design a new model (laughs) United Nations? Like, what? Anyway, I do right. one, one last thing and then we can wrap this up. I do think an int- one aspect that I had not thought about um, when she brought up AP classes, the financial incentive to stay in high school and take free classes that you can get college credit for, where if you went to college, you're paying a premium to take those exact same courses. Uh, that was not a, a, a part that I had thought about. And th- I think that as much as anything is oh yeah super appealing to stay um, just because of like the money, the money yep. aspect of it yep. all. You know, just, just wait that. for the colleges and universities to start not accepting any high school AP classes yeah, you're, across you're, the board. You're late to the party on yeah, that. That's starting. They are, they already don't. I'm just saying it's going to be even more so across the well, board. If you're a college, why would you? I mean, it's 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 cutting into your bottom line. And I, by the I, way, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, uh, we're we're selling kids a false bill of sale. Uh, when we say that AP classes will be, will be accepted at colleges, but in reality, a lot of them aren't accepting them uh, as the years wear on here. AP is a racket. It is a racket. You heard it here first. On Ed's Not Dead. Leave right. your feedback in the tweets. So I rate us on iTunes. <laughs> I clearly. Uh, now let's be racket. fair. Let's be fair. Oh, Mr. Crable, you added a picture in the show notes. The show notes were a bit sparse in this episode. They're a little Spartan. Well, they're, um, supposed, to, they're supposed to be uh, contributed to by all. It's true. Everyone is supposed picture. to throw things in there. 
And that's about uh, I, I think that most of the pieces that we covered today came from Robert. Robert. You just text Shea. them to us and then we're expected to transfer them into the Shea group. Shea Robert. I just I just send them in the group text and you all put them in the show notes. <laughs> all right. So we have no quiz. Uh we have no special Don't repeat the barrier. She's a little segment. So um I guess this is it. This is it. Yeah. This is it. All right. Uh Mr. Sims, I did want to comment on um your recent post uh, for the show on on Facebook got quite a bit of love. Did it? Which one? Uh, just introducing people to the pod. Oh, nice. That's and, good. And begging for a five-star review. So um, please go on to iTunes and give us a five-star five star rating. Yeah, even if you rate us uh, not five stars, which we dissuade you and don't think you should do, uh, just rating us on iTunes actually helps our search optimization. So um, please, please, please leave us feedback. Good, bad, or indifferent on iTunes. That's very helpful. Yep. Um, as always, uh, you can tweet the show at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Um, as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. Um, Mr. Siddons, before we uh, jump off, did you uh, interview Edie Hirsch? It's in, it's in, it's in the hopper. When he, it's done, that means done. Is it? What is it? I don't even know what a hopper is. <laughs> what, what does hopper I'll mean? I thought, I, thought, I thought in the hopper was like preparing, like in the middle. <laughs> no, in the hopper means the deal is done. I don't think that's accurate. Okay, it shall we check? What, what is a hopper? Alexa, in the what, hopper is, a, what is a hopper? Is in preparation or is on its way. Oh, was I wrong? Yeah. It's going through the last refinements before it's ready to begin or be presented. There we go. See, it's in I the hopper. I misspoke. It's in the hopper, but could you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> well, I, he has a very specific schedule that I have to abide by and I have to, you know, I'm a busy person. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to go on my own time. It's in the hopper. In the hopper. And I got some other plans that we'll discuss in the future day. What do you got going on there? Uh, just uh, some things up in the old noggin that uh, we'll release when time is, time will tell. Okay. <laughs> Um, and Mr. Crable, uh, build, building Ed's not dead into a death jam podcast empire. How's that going? Yeah, I, uh, I, we shouldn't, the goal was by Thanksgiving to have, uh, another podcast up, uh, with an episode, um, kind of under the, the pulp education Ed's not dead umbrella. Um, so the working title of the podcast is called the synthesis. Um, and would be run by two teachers and, um, I don't want to say too much more, um, but that I want to tease it a little bit and say, yes, another ed related podcast under, under our umbrella and associated with us. Well, everything you just said about that, I was all news to me. I didn't even, I had, when, when did that all get, okay, you just, well, well, you just asked it. So I just told you, <laughs> Yeah. what did you think I was going to say? <laughs> you know, this is a, this is a partnership here. You, the, you're just, you're, you're making these statements on, on, on air when <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you know, this is authentic, authentic podcasting. Right the here. synthesis. Yeah. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Brought to you what? by Pulp Education. There you go. And okay. The dead crew. <laughs> Mr. Crable's going to be doing some producing. That's right. EP executive producer. Oh, I nice. I don't, know what, that. I don't know what that hey. means. You executor it. So yeah. So that's that's the plan is to to bring on some uh, some other podcasts, some other hosts, some other angles, some other topics um, to kind of uh, nicheify ourselves in a bunch of different ways. And that's right. All, all band together as as uh, Def Jam podcast dorks. Let's do it. Money. Yeah. All right. Keep working at it. Uh, so next time we're on, uh, Mr. Siddons will let you know what his what his big uh, lineup of guests is, and we'll be introducing a new podcast uh, brought to you by Ed's Not Dead. You got it. All right, folks. As always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Please, please spread the word about Ed's Not Dead. Uh, for Peter Crable, Casey Siddons, uh, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you soon.